1: Truth and Movies. Today, Mountains May Depart. Zha Jian Kei's Mandarin but not meandering, Epic of Chinese past, present and future. Brick, the Rian Johnson Tinois Breakthrough, not the Anchorman spin-off you've been praying for. And, oh yes, The Last Jedi. Star Wars Saga gets reanimated. Enough chat, let's get to it. Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us on this low-key edition featuring one or two films that happen to have hit the circuit this week. We've got Michael Leader in. Hi Michael. Hi, thanks for having me. Special disappointing sci-fi correspondent.
2: Well, will that change this time? I don't know. Hmm.
1: Also in David Jenkins, known for his eclectic takes on mainstream popular culture things. And and so it's going to be fascinating to hear what you made of The Last Jedi, which you and I saw on opposite sides of an IMAX screening. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, to preserve the the, the you know to keep our, our our impressions as as pure as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. You know, you sometimes sit next to people in the cinema. I mean, I've had this um, think, experience before, yeah. and you you see them like uh, sighing, and you see them like looking at their watch, and um, and you particularly know, if it's your partner crossing your leg. <laughs> yeah, and it it can have an effect. If someone's sat next to you, irritated throughout a film, it can. Uh, yeah, draw your mind away from the action
1: absolutely, alright, we'll be hearing your thoughts were they irritated or otherwise on The Last Jedi very shortly just got to mention though, Michael, first of all that people can get in touch that email address, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, the Twitter handle, at LWLies and the Facebook page uh, people who have got in touch Stefan who takes issue with Adam claiming that Willis, uh, Bruce Willis's decline kicked in after Hudson Hawk? He says, no, I, uh, some of his better movies came after it, Stefan says. A Pulp Fiction, 12 Monkeys, Fifth Element, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable. At least four of which are, you know, truly excellent films. He also asks, uh, what exactly are the rules for the film club review? I think the first rule of film club is, there are no rules, isn't that oh, right, David? Indeed, yeah. But he would anything like goes. anything. Uh, even Hudson Hawk, in this case, he is though a huge fan and sucker says Stefan for single-setting movies like you know one location. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I like the idea of checking out Link Latest tape, Polanski's Death and the Maiden, which is eighty-five percent single-setting, and then you have classics like Twelve Angry Men and Das Boot. What do you think about mm-hmm. that, Michael? That's
2: a that's a pretty good subgenre. I'd add Lifeboat, the Alfred Hitchcock movie. Oh, I've
1: not though. seen that. That's a
2: good one, and Rope as well.
1: Rope, clearly, yeah. Mm. To an extent, The Hateful Eight, although that does have significant portions outside, but I, I think one of the things that I love most about that film was the way that uh, Tarantino uses that mm. claustrophobic single set to his ad- advantage. Dave, have you got any single set?
0: Oh, God, you've caught me off guard here. I I'm, have. I'm, I'm sort of racking my mind for, for good single set movies. Buried. Buried. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds' classic. In a, but Yeah, Ryan Reynolds in a coffin.
1: Um, oh, what about... Um, a film that a lot of people really love and I've not actually seen. Is it uh, Locke?
2: Oh
0: yeah. oh, yeah. Hardy in a Car. Hardy in a, a Car. Our good friend Ash Clark's all-time fave. You're kidding. Yeah, oh, God. it's um, He's he's quite besotted with that film.
1: Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, potentially, that's a, f- a film club because it would tick a box for Ashley and also, by the sound of it, for Stefan. Coming on to that Last Jedi review, any second, quick shout-out, though, to Mark Millam, who was discussing on his school run... Uh, the merits of letting kids see pitch perfect the new one coming out in december don't know if you have any thoughts on that i've not seen either of the pitch perfect i don't perks. have
0: any kids so i don't i wouldn't right. know whether okay. that would be permissible or not
1: but he he also raises the question of favorite taglines and mentions the alien predator one whoever wins we lose we we covered taglines extensively mark i'm a little bit disappointed you weren't aware of that in an early episode maybe episode oh, 2 or this, 3 i think this
0: is a callback he wants to be a part of that party okay why
1: wouldn't you well, absolutely well um, listeners if you have a favourite tagline send it in and maybe in our end of year special which is going to be coming up and I think going to be featuring a pretty special guest yeah special guest alert special it's, it's guest the, the alert. Official, um, we can have a special okay. tagline celebration we can ask our special guest what his favourite tagline is it's I, a he I
0: suspect he'll have some, some good good, yeah. good ideas for that one All right. I can't wait mm.
1: do you have a favourite tagline Michael
2: I'd say it happened for Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh it's a dot 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 it happened exclamation mark
1: all right it's an eclectic one the last jedi ray and ben or kylo ren if you want to call him that continue their journey into the force with lightsabers here's snoke having a chat with kylo his young apprentice when i found Special. Well, there you go. It's been a long wait. But Monday, Michael, David, we crammed ourselves into uh, an IMAX in Leicester Square and saw this, and we're going to review it now, which is, it's kind of a funny review, this one, because everyone's going to watch it anyway, mm-hmm. um, I think. so. Um,
2: everyone's you know, going to watch it, and they don't want to know much beforehand. Exactly. So have we pitched this? Let's yeah. be
0: careful. <laughs> oh, God, um, I think, like, you know, this is, like, fatwa-level if we spoiler here. I
1: mean, we were actually warned at the uh, screening by no lesser figure than BB-8 himself not to do any spoilers. But of course, we wouldn't do that. Of course not. Not here at Little White Lies stroke truth and movies. Michael, what do you want to say within those parameters then about The Last Jedi.
2: Well, so this is uh, episode 8, the sequel to Force Awakens, after Rogue One last year, which was a prequel. And this is the continuing adventures of Ray Finn and Poe Dameron, the three new characters introduced in Force Awakens, as well as returning adventurers Luke and Leia. Hmm. And if you remember from Force Awakens, there's this shady First Order-type empire, big bad, that's taken over and crushed the Republic. And now the last vestiges of the Republic are now the Resistance, led by General Leia Organa. And uh, they're on the run.
1: Very nicely done. Central plank of the storyline mm-hmm. centres on the convoy of remaining resistance people drifting through space waiting for their fuel to run out. I felt that was a little bit of a
2: a bland storyline, but you do go on. That's the structure around which... Mm. Um, I, something that's interested to me since these films have started coming out is what is the sort of this new trilogy this new wave of Star Wars movies what's the thing going to be we know with Marvel it's going to be all these cross crossing over of heroes and characters and callbacks and call forwards with this one it seems that Star Wars is all about red herrings it's all about fake outs it's all about callbacks and then remixes and revisions of what you come to expect mm. in star wars a lot of people said that force awakens played almost like a beat by beat remake of a new hope episode 4 and this one from the very beginning i'd say is playing with your expectations of what this film may be if it's going to be the empire strikes back of this new trilogy for example mm.
1: and it does share strong elements of that
2: without being specific yes yeah. it does I, by now i've come to treat speaking with a touch of you know with a touch of salt i've come to treat those trailers with a bit of yeah. caution because this is the third time out now where a trailer has given you what seems to be many new plot threads and thematic elements and then maybe the film doesn't exactly play to Interesting. that. Interesting. Play that way. I like that. There's a line in the trailer where it's um, Mark Hamill saying this isn't going to go the way you think and that seems to be the whole modus operandi of right. the way Ryan Johnson's made this film.
1: Okay. Can I just leap in early and say it. Mark Hamill was the nicest surprise of this film for me. He's always been regarded as the weak link mm. Uh, perhaps cast initially for his looks, which obviously then would change dramatically by the car crash, and that for such a central figure in such an enormous saga, he wasn't the most powerful or the most charismatic of of presences, but I thought in this film, I was really, really surprised and and really impressed with his performance.
0: I I would agree. I mean, watching this film, I had a kind of weird sort of... my own sort of internal Rogue One side thought in that I was thinking... Isn't it a shame that um, Mark Hamill's career has, uh, you know, post Star Wars was essentially kind of doing parodies of Star Wars and parodies of his characters and, and, and doing video game voiceovers and video game voiceovers and things like that and cartoons of Star Wars? Um, because of that iconic role, has you know, is is this kind of millstone around his neck almost? And you know, no casting agent could be think we can't cast Luke Skywalker in our film; it would you know ruin it. Um, and then you see him in this film, and he's he's this muscular thesp now and you know yeah. he's, he's, he, he actually does most of the kind of um, dramatic heavy lifting in the film and does it really well and you, you kind of think damn the, that's almost seems like a career you know hopefully it's a a, a new a new chapter mm-hmm. you know, for him but um, you kind of feel this there was a, there's almost a kind of lost generation of of Mark Hamill leading roles that could have been maybe I'm overstating it a little here but you know right, well, let's see <laughs> it, it,
1: maybe there'll be future roles for him within the Star Wars saga we, we can't say at this point oh no, but but telling. Michael back to your um back to your thing and and we're, we're heading towards the point when we discover did it live up or did it disappoint
2: So Star Wars, in in a way, uh, inhabits quite a a unique position in our sort of movie-going diet. Mm. Uh, I saw it on Monday. I'm already booked in to see it two more times in the next two weeks with friends and family because it's become the Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings now, where it's the thing you go and see a lot over Christmas. I need to see it again to know how I feel because it hits some incredibly strong moments throughout, but it does feel a little bit bloated over stuff with characters as I say the sort of the faints and red herrings become a little bit sort of intellectual at times it's two and a half hours long it's the longest Star Wars film by, by far mm. and I'd say within that there are subplots that they're giving to some of the deeper members of the ensemble that could probably just be lifted out completely mm. but overall oh gosh there are some real moments and Mark Hamill's kind of key Scenes in particular are incredible, and he's top build in this. So it's amazing to think that you know oh, he's Luke, they're he? not just embarrassed to bring him back because that's the, the the connective tissue with the old films. They're proud to have him back.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the direct com- uh, comparison with Empire, mm. and I think that's it's kind of telling. Um, because that's such a tight bit of storytelling Empire Strikes Back and it contains some of the most iconic moments not just as a Star Wars saga but of kind of popular movie culture no Luke I am your father mm. uh, I love you I know all that stuff and there's nothing really in this I think that that matches that and I, I think there's two for me uh, elements that I really felt missing in this one one was Han Solo and there's nothing to do there's nothing you can do about that but the other one was Lawrence Kasdan who did co-write the force awakens had written the storyline for this which ryan johnson Mm. basically said i'm not going to go with that i'm going to go with my own storyline so he's done his own which i think was a really distracted as you say quite unnecessarily long Mm. there's a whole section in the middle i don't know if that was for disney purposes that he said okay you need this 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 or you can have that bit but it served no real purpose
0: i don't know i i see what you're saying here and you know i I know i'm sort of on dangerous ground here (laughs) in in in, (laughs) terms of describing it but yeah there is a sense of like you expend a lot of energy thinking why did why did we just see that what Mm. like what what was how did that sort of serve the greater purpose Mm. and how does that fit into the story how does that kind of add to the movie and um you know i think that there is a kind of theme underlying the story overall i mean i'm not necessarily trying to justify these but i'm just trying to say what my thoughts were but like this idea of you have to keep plugging away, whatever the odds. Mm, mm, you know, mm, you you can't just sort of rest on your laurels. You can't just sit back. This is all about kind of taking action, doing doing things, getting up. You know, any kind of last ditch attempt to to kind of preserve the the hope in the world. I mean, hope is the kind of term that is kind of mentioned almost every every single scene. It's the motif, isn't it's it? It's the motif indeed. Which is you know, it's very um, very Star Warsy and <laughs>
2: indeed. I think that the that the film does succeed in terms of its kind of key moments, the beats it has to hit. Mm. I think my problem is that it has probably a cast of eight or nine characters now and it tries to give them all something to do. And it, even if that just involves running up and down a corridor for an hour, uh, kind of barking orders. Um, but, and it's a shame because that we were introduced to these characters in Force Awakens, you know, John Boyega and Adam Driver and, and, and Daisy Ridley who and who are all re- really kind of you're commanded the screen and they had mm. a lot of charisma and charm but in this one they seem a little bit sidelined I, I in, don't in of think
1: Ryan R- 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 Johnson knows what to do with some of the plot lines mm. that he's inherited given what he appears to have done with in them in this film um, but yeah sorry I interrupted you
2: no it, 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 it's it's hard to talk about without being specific mm. it may just seem that we're coming off as maybe more neg- negative than we would otherwise well
1: um, like many people I really wanted to like this film and for most of the film I did I would say, I, like you, I need to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm looking forward to doing so because it's a Star Wars film. Um, it's got some very good bits in it. It's got some very bad bits in it. There are two moments in this that are almost prequel-level bad for me, that they are wow. shark-jumping. and um, One involves Princess Leia. The other one involves BB-8. Mm-hmm. And they significantly changed the way I felt about the film. I enjoyed it to start with. And then... With Hamill and with the final the final kind of how long did it take forty minutes or so on the
2: final set piece, yeah, yeah,
1: that whole part there for me, Johnson kind of gets it back under control, and that makes it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that, but I was disappointed overall because of that that middle section that. Mm-hmm just seemed like he didn't really know what he... And I'm, as I say, I'm not sure if maybe The Force Awakens because Kazdan was involved with, you know, not only Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but also things like Raiders of Lost Art. Mm. But also maybe J.J. J. Abrams had enough clout to keep the storyline the way he wanted it. I'm not sure if maybe Disney, who are quite famous, are they not, for their for the way that they will manage what a director thinks he's doing or not doing with a, the with a storyline. I mean, maybe they got involved a bit much in this, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell. It's hmm. hard to sort of second guess that there's this whole thing about the the Han Solo movie and yeah. the mm-hmm. the guy, which Kazdan is working on, which Kazdan is is working on. And if you know, if if anything, that seems like the directors of that movie were were moving it too far off piste right. and that's why they brought Ron Howard mm. in to that's true, yeah. ste- steady the boat so we'll see, we'll see how that goes next May But
2: and the same with episode 9 they've booted Colin Trevorrow off mm. the project
1: and J.J. Abrams is yeah, back right. for that
2: but it seems that Ryan Johnson they're actually happy with him because they've just announced this new trilogy that he's going to make and I think off the back of this film I'm very happy to see what that is because okay. it is a tension within this movie um, as I was saying trying to figure out what this new trilogy is and this trilogy is the tension between legacy and new stories within an old world and what needs to to happen to let go of the past, and that's it we are now seeing what this trilogy is going to look like—the sort of the shape and the characters and the, the those overarching themes—and I actually can't wait to see what Ryan Johnson can do, completely, you know, unshackled from that.
0: Right. One of the things I have sort of picked up on in the uh, kind of early reviews that have been released. There's a lot of people talking about um, how emotional the film is. Mm. Hmm. It's the most emotional Star Wars, which I, for me is not is not <laughs> it's faint praise maybe, but like yeah, a lot of you know a lot of people are saying how kind of deep it is and how it, it sort of buries deep into the psyche of its characters and it deals with these kind of weighty humane themes and uh, and this idea of preserving the you know the, the 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 Republic and you know blah blah blah. But for me on an emotional level and, I, and I'm really a kind of sentimental guy when it comes to cinema I mean, mm. you know like in a, a film like for instance Wonder I was like you know this this is I, I know I know, you weren't a fan but I, I was actually quite you know smitten by some of it because you know just very very sort of simple moments and for me this film really lacked these kind of very very sort of simple pure you know almost like silent beats where mm. you're kind of allowed to kind of soak in a moment. It was know?
1: interesting to watch this in conjunction this week with Mountains Made Apart, which is absolutely a movie which gives you mm-hmm. the, the, very a simple very clear utterly kind of emotionally true uh, storyline. But but yes. But uh, there are I mean there is this emotional aspect which he's explored the the, the loneliness if you like of 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 the, of the force and the power that it brings, which I thought was an interesting element of this this film. Um Michael, I think you- it's
2: interesting when you talk about this emotional aspect. It's not. It's just as much in the film as it is in the viewer. Um, I've, I found the moments that I was most strongly responding to were the moments that reminded me of watching the original films or playing the video games. A certain soundtrack cue. There, there, there's no mm. other. It's I mean, when a tie they make a Jones screams, movie, you, know, you know, you're kind of like you
0: know that. you're back. You're back there. But yeah, I think that's that. That might mm-hmm. be the thing. Is like for me. Star Wars is is, is meaningless. I, I have no, okay, I have, I have no connection to it. <laughs> and they're like, searching for meaning in this film. Exactly, right? <laughs> but
1: that's interesting. <laughs> I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of the really positive reviews are from people for whom Star Wars doesn't have that meaning. Because I mean, mm. certainly my experience of this is Star Wars ultimately, and I'm excluding the prequels from this, but it is a fable. I mean, it is the fable. Mm. Um, and this, whilst it being a serviceable sci-fi film is for the most part not fabulous. As I say, at the end, I think Ryan Johnson gets it back, even visually, the finest shots in this film all come in the final sequence. And a film which I thought had been a little visually bland compared to The Force Awakens, which had some just gorgeous Mm. sights in it, um, it, it, he kind of does come good in, in the end. But by and large, I didn't find this to have that same sense of fable. It wasn't fabulous in that sense. And it reminded me... Again, what a great job J.J. Murentz had done with Force Awakens in terms of just bringing
0: that whole thing back to life. I know a lot of people felt it was too similar to A New Hope, but... I preferred Force Awakens. Did you? I I, I definitely did. I I thought it had a certain kind of... Charm and levity to it that. that, that this Although there are some
1: very go. funny moments in this,
0: yeah, the the humour in this really grated on me. Did I've it. got to say, and, and and I think you know maybe we can sort of get to that when we talk about Brick because I think hmm. that's you know his his kind of you know kooky sense of humour is kind of ladled on a little bit thick here. But, but
2: it's, it's a particularly kind of modern self-aware sense it of humour which you know, you're know you presented with Star Wars which is so in keeping with the film the films made 40 years ago mm. but uh, then you suddenly have these sort of wacky one-liners and uh, the, almost the, kind of sitcom level yeah, kind of setups and it's like that's the one part that I think completely thuds for me yeah. with the sense of humour throughout
1: so give it some scores then David
0: well, I think I probably I'm excited. I was excited for Rian Johnson, and I've I've really liked the last two. I I, I really like Rogue One and and Force Awakens. So I'd, I'd say a four, just because I'm not a Star Wars mm-hmm. head, and I can't I can't I just can't get excited about it on that level. Um, enjoyment was, even though I say I was kind of I was probably say I was mixed on it. I think the the good outweighed the bad for me, and I, and I I would you know. Although I probably wouldn't be running back to the cinema to see it because for me it was maybe a tad too long. It felt like two and a half hours. I'd probably say four as well. Mm. And maybe a three in retrospect.
2: Mm. Michael mm-hmm. I think quite similar to, to, to David I've, I've enjoyed the other ones I'm, I am a big Star Wars fan but I did approach this one with a little bit of caution just because how many you know, we're going to see Star Wars films every year until we die now and that's I quite like Star it's Wars brilliant. Being, being a thing no that, I'm loving that you know, anyway so that was four uh, but then enjoyment yeah I'm, I'm probably leveling out as a four I'm probably coming off as more negative than I am because when you can't geek out about certain moments yeah you, you can only be general and I'm looking forward to watching it again and maybe reassessing so mm. probably a four there as well okay
1: yeah I, I would say five for anticipation which might be why my next two scores would be three and three but like you I want to go back and mm. and, and see it again um, now all right uh, let's move on then slight change of pace here as we tackle mountains made apart.
0: All right, David Jenkins, Mountains Made Apart. What is it? Well, it's a new film by the uh, Chinese director Jia Zhang Kei, who is kind of quite a name on the sort of festival slash art house circuit. Um, he makes these quite austere and critical films of China, uh, about sort of modern China. Um, he He's someone who actually it's very rare that his films will actually get past censorship laws in china because they are kind of critical of the communist state and of decisions made by the government mainly to do with kind of modernization and globalization he he's from he's from a kind of northern chinese mining town called fengyang all oh, right where where, he, where this one's set where this one mm. is set and he's and a little bit of trivia here mm. is that um he owns a restaurant called Mountains May Depart in Fengyang. Okay, so. what, do you,
1: what does the title refer to? Is it a, a quotation from something? Or
0: I'm not entirely I'm sure, not sure, to be honest. It's, it's, it's a weird one. It, it's, it sounds like a sort of slight weird translation of, of, of a proverb or something. Right. Um, Is it something to do with the passage of time? I, I, I'm I guess not sure. so. I mean, I, I think it's probably to, uh, a reference to this idea of like... Because, I mean, all his films are about you know cities being uprooted and moving like along you know along rivers and to different sites so mm. it's this idea that you know people can constantly be uprooted and mm. even when you have these kind of you know you're connected to the landscape there's still a way to be kind of moved elsewhere I mean and this this film is it's more of a melodrama mm. you call it I mean it's a sort of romantic melodrama that a kind of triptych narrative that takes place over three different time periods it starts off with um, the actress um, Zhao Tao who is just um it's who actually is zhai zhenke's wife and muse uh, he's she's in pretty much all of his films and she's just i think she's one of the great living actors um she's astonishing in this film and it starts off with her doing kind of line dancing to uh pet shop boys go west um to herald in the uh the joys of the new millennium but as it sort of transpires things don't go uh, well for her as she um enters into a kind of love triangle between a, a kind of slimy capitalist and a kind of guy who works in a, in a coal mine, mm. uh, who she kind of has a has a sort of relationship with and the film essentially follows her decision over three time zones, timelines I guess, mm. three chunks of time um, Excellent, well that's, a, that's a, Sorry, that was very No, long, it was a, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite a long film
1: mm. and I must admit when I saw what we were doing this week Star Wars, yay, mm. Uh two and a quarter hour Chinese film I was a little bit more cautious about that but I absolutely loved it
0: oh I'm glad to
2: hear it.
1: yeah that. no I thought it was brilliant what, what did you think Michael?
2: I was a little cooler on it but I, I did like it I ha- this is actually the first of his films I've seen I've hmm. actually missed out on Touch of Sin and, and The World and previous ones in the past uh, this has taken a long time to come out here it was in Cannes two and a half years ago you're kidding 2015 2015 and it was at the London Film Festival in 2015 it's just been one that people have been you know dying to come out in the cinema and now it is I really appreciated that Ambition. This sort of these three time periods. If you want to say it's like the Before trilogy in one film, the, uh-huh. the original Linkless Before trilogy, or it's a bit like Place Beyond the Pines in a way, um, mm-hmm. following a, a, a family across across a, a generation. Um, and the, the little sort of cinematic tricks that he pulls. There's lots of interesting choices there. Like the title card doesn't come up until 45 minutes yeah. in <laughs> when you realise you're going from 1999 to. 2014, and then later on you do go further into the future for a third act, um, and and likewise uh, lots of sort of film nerd things like the changing of aspect ratio mm. cinema and, and mm. camera setups for each each period. I, I I I found that results varied across the film. Right. Really, I don't know if that's... yeah.
0: I think I think that it's a, co- a common criticism of the film actually, and mm. and I and, I, and I, it's one that I kind of concur with that um the, this this there's a sequence later in the film where he transfers to to Australia mm. where um Zhao tao's son has kind of decamped there to to sort of start a new life as a you know as as a, as a you know embracing capitalism there i think it is just one of those things where he doesn't seem comfortable filming in english language mm-hmm. um the assured style of the first two chapters kind of is is it's one of those things like, I don't know, you you can't absorb yourself in the story because it's sort of like, it's hindering you a bit because you can see. Well, one of the
1: issues with that final bit is the fact that it barely involves, what's her name? Xiao Tao, yeah. Yeah. It barely involves Shao Tao, who who is, I mean, extraordinary through the rest of the film and then brings it back together at at the end. Yeah,
0: that's, that's, again, that's really, really sort of problematic in that last Mm. section that you kind of, you know, the, the sort of emotional linchpin of the film is kind of, shoved aside for, for maybe a little that, bit too long. But that, I mean, long.
1: in a sense, it does illustrate a little bit what I think Zha Zhan mm-hmm. is doing here in that you might have something... That th- th- things move on. There is a river that flows through mm-hmm. this film, both you know, literally and metaphorically. Um, and in a sense, what you may think of as the kind of central temple of the movie isn't necessarily going to remain the central temple mm-hmm. of the story. Things move on. And actually, I saw a... Um, Something from is it Manola Dargis yeah, or, yeah, yeah. In, New in New York Times time. who points to the river and its kind of central role and and points out specifically this triptych idea that in the film characters go to the river three characters the first time two characters mm. the second time and then just one at the end and it, it it's 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 neatly done
0: mm. oh god I think there's like there's probably tons and tons of stuff in the film that mm. you, that you'd have to sort of like w- watch again and sort of pour over to really sort of get out of it I think Small it's so details. rich and you know I think that one of the things I like about him is that his films generally feel very kind of quite intuitive, and you know that they, that they, he they, he gives gives moments time to breathe, mm. and you you know sometimes you kind of left thinking this is a long take or this is this scene is kind of going on for quite a long time, but actually like I think there's like. You know, you, the more you think about it, the, the you know there there is a kind of immense precision to, yeah. to how he makes movies, mm-hmm. and like every detail feels very thought through in the end.
1: One thing about this film, the aging effects are brilliantly done.
2: Sunshine, <laughs> <laughs> which one is the real uh, Zhao Tao? I suppose the, maybe the, the middle section, Is it the I, middle? I presume. Because yeah. I think they're supposed to be early 20s to begin with. Mm, and then? And then towards the end, quite middle age, late middle age. Mm. I think it's interesting, David, you talk about the genre and how he plays with genre across his movies. This being a romantic melodrama, I, I, I really did appreciate all those little details, the depth and the, the themes. There's a very good review of the film by Nick Pinkerton in the latest and Sound. With all these kind of critics that can go deep and really pick apart the film. But on a moment-to-moment level, as a romantic drama, I didn't feel... Involved in Did the you way know? that I would want to from a film like this, okay. and maybe it is that sort of level of commentary and criticism in a film like this, where it's the loss of innocence, the the the, the, the passing of time, and so on, and the way that at the end that sort of nostalgia is very on the nose, mm. a sort of loss of motherland and mother and mother tongue, all in all in one character, it just felt very sort of overdetermined to me. Really, um, rather than wanting to just go along with a be whisked away by. By these feelings
1: all right i mean i've often been the wrong end of a love triangle so i really did feel it keenly
0: um right okay uh, david anything else would you like to give it numbers i'd probably give it fours across the board uh-huh. i mean I, I thought it was really really great film um i i'm really excited by when he has a new film coming out and i think he's currently working on a martial arts movie which i'm very hmm. excited about wow. um and yeah um I think if it, yeah it's the it's the last chapter that me for me that sort of you know maybe nudges it down a notch um although I I would still like to see it again and try and you know f- try and find a way of justifying how that fits into the to the story at large be right. a bit more of a sort of seamless fashion I guess Michael, I'd say four.
2: You know, as as one of those great auteurs of the festival circuit, I was, I was looking forward to watching this. And, but then probably th- three and three really. Mm. Um, I, I'm willing to go and do all the necessary reading and maybe watch it again down the line, and maybe my opinion will change. But uh, it didn't seem to. If you want, if you want
0: to go full on and see his kind of like most t- like toughest, difficult, but I think maybe best film, mm. he he did this film called Platform, right. and it's like a kind of it's his it's his version of a musical. It's like following a a a a kind of band uh, during just after the um cultural revolution and it's them sort of touring around uh, like small villages in Mm -hmm. china and and there's no there's no story it's just kind of going around and you see what's happening in in the country and it's just kind of incredible yeah from three hours long
1: just from a cultural point of view i actually one that's one of the things that made the film interesting for me even though it is quite a long film in which not that much happens on a moment-to-moment basis although there are big changes story-wise it was just that whole kind of window on what seemed to be kind of ordinary chinese life provincial chinese uh, life um i'm gonna say anticipation two because you know mm-hmm. uh which might be why i enjoyed it so much i think yeah four and four yeah all right then great Jean k convert yeah. there we go the, the, we're winning the war <laughs> uh, next up we're looking back on ryan johnson's debut film brick
0: hey everyone i've been on the go recently phoenix kansas city chicago if you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home you have an airbnb
2: Really screwed up. Screwed up how? The brick. What? I, I didn't know it was bad, but the pin's on it now. You gotta help me. Slow down now. This isn't good. No. Emily said words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Tug? Tug might be a drink. Like milk and vodka. Pin? You know the kingpin. Dope rumor, right? Big time. What are you gonna do? She asked for my help. I just wanna know she's okay. So what's first? I'm gonna start shaking things up.
1: Yep, film club this week in celebration of Ryan Johnson's *The Last Jedi*, digging up his debut film *Brick*. Mm-hmm. Which it was. Did he invent a new genre with this, David? High school
0: noir. Well, I I mean, it reminds me of uh, a bit of Bugsy Malone.
1: Bugsy Malone. <laughs> I think that's
0: probably the closest uh, <laughs> that, um, that you can get to it. But mm. um, Alan Parker's Bugsy Malone. Of course. Indeed. Yeah. Um, what happened, to Alan Parker? Is
1: he? Is he is he still making a song? He's still
2: a around? He did around. Yeah. He did an anniversary, 40th anniversary,
0: Bugsy Malone thing. Did he? At BFI recently, yeah. last yeah. year. Didn't he, he, didn't he do Far From the Madding Crowd recently? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, not Far From the Madding Crowd. One, uh, um, Tale of Two Cities. Did or he? A Dickens adaptation with Ralph Fiennes. Maybe that wasn't him. So I'm getting people confused here. No worries. Dexter yeah. Fletcher's around, though. Hmm? He's, he's in Bugsy Malone. He's babyface,
2: Dexter Fletcher. He's
1: Dexter Fletcher yeah. and Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Good, good knowledge. Um, but, but Brick...
2: Right, okay. (laughs) Uh, So uh, what did listeners make of this? So this is Cam Brick, all caps, three exclamation marks. Nice. Great choice. Revisited it a couple of months ago, first time in years. It really held up surprisingly well. Um, And I was concerned in retrospect it would just turn out to be an R-rated feature-length OC episode.
0: It wasn't. It flowed (laughs) and intrigued, and the young cast generally impressed. Chris Henry, perfect in almost every way. Mm Cool. But the real gem here is a screenplay, forties noir in a nondescript high school. The names are so right: tug the pin, etc. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Paul Bacardi uh, not only seen it; I bought a special edition DVD with a frame of the original movie and a short story written by Rian Johnson. All oh,
1: right, which wow. he's made available because he did the novella first. Yeah, of this, and he's made all that available on his website, which apparently is a, a treasure trove of, 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 of free stuff and giveaways. I need to yeah. go on there. Yeah. yeah.
0: Stuart simpson one of the best films made this century it's one of those films you want to watch again straight after you watch
1: right but you might have problems doing that unless you own a copy as wayne edge points out and where can i get brick online for this week's film club i do apologize because to our enormous surprise it's Mm. not available on any of the kind of mainstream streaming services
2: I think it's been lost because it, the DVD I have is an Optimum DVD, which was a label a few years ago that went out of business and was acquired by Studio Canal, and there's some things that have fallen between the cracks.
0: Right. I suspect, yeah. though, as as it as usually happens with these things, that they'll that it will come out in a deluxe edition when Star Wars oh, yeah. finally reaches ho- home ends, because they'll want to kind of, you know, some someone will have picked it up and picked up his catalogue and mm, mm-hmm. want to do something you know rian johnson box sets will be all the rage yeah um so um yeah you'll probably not be able to 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 not see it soon <laughs> uh. true yeah. uh,
2: any other comments michael ian harris a truly brilliant yet highly underrated modern film noir gordon levitt gave us a taste of how great he would be in the future with this role too mm. yeah
0: dave tullock left me at the time confused and disappointed may cool. have to go back and review it does he go back and review it? He, he does. Well, well, we'll have to find out. Oh, that was kind of the point. Let of... us know if you did. Yeah. Theo Leeds didn't get it, quote unquote, the first time, but now sits happily in my top films I didn't get, but oh. now love. Oh, right. Well, there that's you know. a great category, isn't it? Yeah. Great films you didn't get, but
1: now love. Would you like to have a bang on that? I've got one straight away. Monsters, Inc. Oh. Unbelievably, I didn't like Monsters, Inc. the first time I saw it, which means that you cannot take seriously anything I say here
0: <laughs> in this podcast. My, my ultimate turnaround... Uh, going from absolute like I thought this was the the, the, the pits absolute the worst to, to thinking it's I think it's the best is the film Death Proof oh. by Quentin Tarantino which I've, I've not seen the much, movie. Yeah. It, I, when I saw it in Cannes originally I was just like outraged that someone could do a film that doesn't have an ending or <laughs> it just mm-hmm. sort of like such there's, no, there's no kind of point to mm. it and I think when uh, Django Unchained was coming out I decided to sort of do a bit of a QT, you know backwatch, um mm. and that film i was just like jaw to the floor like how wrong have i been wow, wow. I, I
1: just thought of another one for me piece. and again people are going to be what a hot fuzz didn't like it when it came out thought it was wildly overrated have seen it many many mm-hmm. times due to one member of my family being a big fan <laughs> and i absolutely love it now which is interesting could have an interesting thing on our special
0: guest for christmas it's it, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I think I, I, I liked it the first time, but then rewatched it recently and, and have I've written ai I've I'll, I'll send you my little piece I've written about it recently on how it's the ultimate Brexit movie. Huh. Oh. I've actually read that. Oh right, yeah, okay. yeah, you, don't need to <laughs> it. you can read it again. All right, <laughs> I'll see if
1: I think the same thing the second yes. time. Yes,
2: <laughs> uh, Michael. Anything else on brick? So, there are a couple of good ones here. Scott Campbell says, Brick is an absolutely dreadful movie. Right. Does he say why? No, I don't think we can be friends. I I, I love this movie. You love this This movie, This was a movie I saw first year of university, just as I was coming into my own as like loving films and Mm. finding out about noir and What did you study at university? English. Oh, okay. Yeah, it did well for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was obsessed, got the DVD, got the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. This film is made by uh, Ryan John's cousin, kind of lots of found you know, kind of instruments and self-made instruments, per piano and so on. Um, And it's re-watching it the other week. It's exactly the same. Uh, Absolutely perfect movie the way it maps those film noir tropes over over the high school Mm. setting. I've
0: got to say on that note before, I was actually, yeah, when when I first saw it in the cinema when it came out, I don't remember like going nuts for it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it wouldn't have bothered my kind of films of the year. But then actually re-watching it recently this is just really impressive and mm-hmm. I, th- I actually think with the you know with the time that's passed it actually looks m- like a more impressive feat than it may yeah. have done mm. when it, when it happened like maybe I think at the time I think I might have dismissed it as a bit of a gimmick mm-hmm. like oh he's just he's just sort of you know fusing these two things together for the sake of it but actually like the the fact that nobody has really done anything like it since mm. with such with such Im- immaculate results I mean you know it's you know, I think the tone it just nails the tone of it so so well it's not just like people parroting like this kind of you know awful um, you know hackney noir dialogue it's, it's there is actually a proper story and, and, and proper emotions to it
1: how do you feel about his second film Looper that's oh, that's film. his
0: third film. Oh, what was his second film? <laughs> the Brothers Bloom, which <laughs> oh, I, I th- <laughs> love The Brothers Bloom. No. I, that was him. That was him. You, uh, someone loves The Brothers Bloom. <laughs> yeah,
1: I really enjoyed with Rachel Weisz and who uh, else is in it? Um, Agent Brody, R- Agent Ruffalo. <laughs> right, that I, film. Is it
2: really bad?
1: <laughs> oh, Michael. I remember
2: quite liking it. It was a long oh, time yeah. ago. I remember. It's, there's uh, Rinko uh, Kikuchi's really good. At it's that. a. I, it's a
1: caper. It is a it's, caper. Yeah. I, <laughs> And it, they go to sorry, nice no, locations and enemies. stuff. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Okay. So that was his second film. What did you, What did you make of his third film then? Uh, yeah, Looper I think is is really good as well. Yeah, I, I didn't like Looper. Oh. I started out really liking it, liking it, and then it it does.
0: There's a massive plot hole, and it never recovers. It's a bold film, I'd say. Hmm. I mean, and that and, and I think with Looper it's like you're either going to think that the the switcheroo it does in the middle is is a really kind of bold and interesting move or you're going to think oh I I really loved that thing it was doing at the beginning I wish it did Mm -hmm. that some more so
2: I'd like to I think it's time to rewatch that it's it's certainly
0: a film for a certain
2: type of person Um, my
0: my uncle and my cousin
2: watched it and the next morning my cousin came down and my uncle had charted out the entire plot as a diagram on
0: the kitchen table sounds interesting like he'd he'd, think he'd become a bit a bit loopy himself oh yeah yeah. Yeah. that would I mean it's interesting with looking at his films um look at his previous films and sort of with the knowledge of, of having seen Star Wars because I think there is so much in there mm. that you can kind of project onto onto the sort of Star Wars galaxy I mean like the In Brick for instance the Lucas Haas character the Pin who is a kind of um he he's a drug dealer who works out of his his mother's basement and wears this kind of long black cowl and 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 has this very very kind of scary um uh what do you call it like, like a cane. cane he he he's sort of set up as this kind of you know drug kingpin but there is something quite sort of tragic about the fact that he's having these kind of conflabs with his like cronies while the mom is making them like cornflakes and and yeah. stuff and um and you think and and i think that's maybe an uh, an example of ryan johnson's quirky humor coming in but there it really works and uh you absolutely can see kind of a kylo ren the pin yeah. crossover mm, i mean they're very, like they're sort of you know slightly adolescent characters who you know or, or or characters who who are sort of on the cusp of adulthood but still have these kind of you know attachments to their kind of youth and family i guess mm. and mm. Uh, and obviously the little kid in in you know I'd, I'd, maybe there's not a, a literal connection to it, but the sort of the chosen one kid in Looper, it feels like it should be something from Star Wars, even if it's not. <laughs> maybe I don't know about, I, I don't know enough about Star Wars to make that connection literally. But um, again, I don't want to compare, but like rewatching watching um, Brick, one of the things that I found really impressive about it is it's is so much more than just like style. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's, it's not an and form. Yeah. I think the best noir films have a kind of there's a sort of tragic reason for why the kind of detective is doing what he's doing and um, you know like in films like the Maltese Falcon and um, even even like something like Casablanca or The Long Goodbye there is a kind of tragic element like although the, the main character is this kind of street savvy hipster who is like you know um, landing one liners on all on, on all these cronies and managed to get out of all these scrapes. There is a sort of like the you know he's they're sort of doing it for for love or something. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know there's a reason for that they're sort of doing all, doing all this stuff. Even a film like Inherent Vice recently, mm-hmm. there's something quite sort of lovely about the fact that you know he's going through all these you know, doing all this stuff because he's just in love with this woman. And uh, and I think it's a similar thing with Brick that it's this very sweet kind of you know. He's putting his life on the line constantly, just just because he wants to find out who killed this woman that he loved. Yeah. So, I, I love it it's watching it now, almost as a social document
2: as well, because it's that sort of hinterland between Generation X and what we'd see as the modern day sort of digital hipster kind of teenager. Mm. There, there's one mobile phone in the entire movie. <laughs> and it's, you know, he has to borrow the mobile phone, and it's the, the the clothes, the the sort of the. the Everything the sort of analog uh, teenager.
0: Well, that's interesting. You say that because there's actually a, um, there are apparently lo- loads of shots of shoes in the film mm-hmm. and birds mm-hmm. and shoes and birds. Yeah, mm. and he like the idea of I love this idea of like you can just tell a character from their shoes. Yeah, mm. really and, like, and that I that is just such a that is so amazing. I think that you know you could do something like f- you know filming and a, a not someone's face mm-hmm. and and and. Ha- just instantly knowing who this person is I mean Mm. you know who Brendan Fry is from his kind of like scruggy brown unlaced shoes you know it's like yeah, no, it's very... very but it's cool. also... It's also just,
2: just looking at your show... Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm... Yeah. Wow, David. <laughs> but that's like, it shows the economy of the filmmaking as well. This It seems like one of the last of the 90s independent movies in a way. Mm. It's shot on film. You know, it's a, a certain budget level, which you wouldn't really get now. It's like a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, but then... Just, really? Yeah. I think mostly raised by himself and his family. Wow. Um, and shot in his hometown his, at his high school. It, just, it feels... Almost like the last gasp of a you know of, of a certain type of filmmaking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The first step of a pretty big career so know, far. Yeah.
0: All right. I, I hope he does us another brick mm. it may maybe in between his sort of galaxy far, far away stuff. Cause, mm. that he can be know, a Nolan in a way. Yeah, yeah. I I'd 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 really like him to be a kind of one for one for us and one for them kind of director. Um I'm sort of fingers crossed for that. Brothers Bloom too.
1: Brothers Bloom too. No. Please. Fingers crossed, eh? <laughs> All right. Uh, next week
0: on Film Club, what are we doing, David? Well, we had an, a lovely little discussion about this ahead of the uh, ahead of the chat, and uh, now, so
1: the films we're reviewing are The Greatest Showman, yeah. which I know nothing about, <laughs> Molly's Game, which I know nothing about. Except it's got a gambling in it. Is yeah, that right? it's
0: Jessica Chastain as a gambler, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Oh right, okay. And uh, the and Idris Elba's in it. And Idris Elba's in it as well. Yeah. And what? Whoa, whoa there. And then uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Last Showman is the sto- is the kind of musical uh, musical comedy of the life of P. T. Barnum. Oh right, okay. With Hugh Jackman. I, I was just going to say, course. does it have Hugh Jackman in? Of course it. <laughs> of course, right. It has yeah. to. Um, and. Um, I, th- I think we decided on um, looking at, uh, I think this idea of gambling in movies is right. kind of interesting. And we've, we've gone for a, a, a Jimbo fave. Yeah, well, it's a... If you want to maybe <laughs> announce it. Okay, so this is a film that I remember
1: at the time being really struck by. Firstly, because it's a, it's a, it's a very singular way of, of certainly scripting a film. It's David Mamet, who's got his own voice. Um, it's quite a, a monotone voice, but mm-hmm. it's no less interesting for all that. Um, and this is House of Games, which I caught back in the 80s and recently rewatched. And I still think it's a really interesting film. It's got Joe Mantegna in it. Um, I can't remember who else is in it, but I loved this film when it came out. Still think it's really interesting. You guys have seen it? I haven't yeah, yeah. seen it. Right? And David? You... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's... it's
0: available on things like iTunes and that. It's, yeah, it has got that kind of. 80s indie feel to it. Mm. It's you know, like it feels of a piece with a film like Blood Simple. You know, like a really well-plotted, um, like tete-a-tete between a, a small group of characters. Mm. You know, sort of who who are kind of all out for each other. Yeah. Um, and there's some gambling in the background.
1: There certainly is. There certainly is.
0: No. Look back over my shoulder. Guy in a beard, in a cowboy shirt. You see him? Yes.
1: He's from Las Vegas, he's been beating me all night. He's gotta tell, okay? When he's bluffing, okay, he plays with his little gold ring. And I caught him doing it, and he knows I did, so he stopped. He's conscious of himself. I want you to do me this favor. What's that? I want you to be my girlfriend for a while. Come in the game, you stand behind me, watch me play. We get in a big hand, I, I go to go pee. You watch this guy and tell me, does he play with his gold ring? and I know he's bluffing, I win the big hand, and I forget the 800 your friend owes. All right, so that's coming up next week. Oh, we've also doing Jumanji, it says here.
0: Are we? Oh, gosh. I I, I, I think we might be, be switching one of either Jumanji or a, a, a Greatest Showman. Okay. Is, we're going we're to have to make Jumanji. that decision depending yeah. on what we can see. Right, okay. But, um, yeah.
2: Jackman v. Johnson.
0: Yes. Wow.
1: <laughs> Between a rock and a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> good well anyway listen if you
1: have seen house of games or when you have and want to let us know what you think about it uh you can do so via email at truth at tcolondon.com twitter is at lwlies uh, there's the facebook page as well anything else you want to mention
2: Oh, one thing I would like to give a shout-out to so mm. let's look out for next year. Last weekend, I was immensely privileged to see a preview of World of Tomorrow 2, The Burden ah. of People's Thoughts, which the new Don Hertzfeld animated short, which is, he makes these, you know, David, you're, you're a fan of his films, he makes these incredible short animated films that are packed with ideas and feelings and, and innovation, mm. and it was incredible. I'd, I'd look out for World of Tomorrow the 2. the first
1: one is just Bonkers and it's brilliant. on Vimeo. You it, can
2: see it's it It's all done with stickmen as well. To be it's honest. very sort of specific yeah. animation. But I can't, he now you uses have to? I, you have
1: to pay for it, don't you?
2: He he sells the first one on his Vimeo store, right? And the it, second one, the second one. Who knows? It's it's premiering well wide at Sundance next year. Okay, but then also his film, "It's Such a Beautiful Day," is on Netflix, I believe. Okay, which is a not a sci-fi film. It's it's more realistic. Mm. Is that
1: with like live-action
2: actors and stuff? No, 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 no. no, no.
0: It's still stickmen. It's an hour-long uh, animation, but oh. but it's like it's. It's basically like the Tree of Life, mm. as it, but with animated stickmen
2: and with just the most melancholy, poetic, beautiful, hilarious, sad tone of voice. Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, good. All right, David. Anything you want to add? A little coda. No, no. I've just got to um, go go back and finish off the magazine. Right. So I'm off to do that.
1: Well, we won't hold you up all you listeners. Thanks for being with us. If you like, we'll be back again next week talking about some, if not all, of those films. In the meantime, this has been a Seven Digital production.